Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Father Ed Broom of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Ed is also an author of The Total Consecration Through the Mysteries of the Rosary, and also From Humdrum to Holy. Father, thanks for being a guest again. We've been on a couple times and always enjoy uh, your insight. Thank you very much. I feel honored to be with you on your program, to be able to speak to many people about these very important spiritual topics. Thank you. Well, your recent article in the Catholic Exchange, I, I encourage people to go uh, look it up, is called Humility, the Cornerstone of Holiness. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure, you know, well, obviously humility is important all the time. Uh, and I mean, in every age, it's always been important. But, you know, we look at a world now where everybody puts themselves as most important. They're their own God. How critical is it that people really understand that they have to acquire that virtue of humility if they want to get to heaven? Absolutely. And um, of course, our best models would be the saints. The saints are, are God's heroes, but they're very humble because they recognize all the good that they can do. It's because God gives them the grace that correspond to it. And above and beyond that, of course, uh, Jesus and Mary are the models par excellence. And I said in my article later on is that Jesus, uh, he describes his heart only once in sacred scripture, which you can find in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. He says that I am, he says, I am meek and humble of heart. So there we have our models, the, the saints and Jesus, Mary, in practicing all virtue, but especially the virtue of humility. Is taking you mentioned it's so it's so countercultural today, this virtue of humility. There's so much overweening pride in almost all places. Uh, you mentioned in the beginning, beginning of your article, and maybe you can let everybody know, but you mentioned, you know, St. Teresa of Avila and her definition of humility. Maybe you can explain it because, you know, we say humility a lot, but I think people really at its core need to know what we're talking about so that they know how to, how to acquire and, and work on this beautiful virtue. Yes, yeah, St. Teresa of Avila is, uh, was actually the first woman doctor to be proclaimed doctor of the church with uh, shortly after the St. Catherine of Siena. And she's written some spiritual masterpieces, the way of perfection, her life, and the interior castle. But her definition of humility is, uh, is very simple. She says, humility is the truth. It's as simple as that, uh, and it's being aware of who we really are from the divine perspective, from the eyes of God, the author of all truth. So if we really want to be humble, we have to live in the truth. So, uh, and Jesus, of course, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I really like often in my articles to quote the saints because they're the most humble persons on the earth, but also, as I mentioned in the article, the greatest of all virtues are ch is charity, which is supernatural love. But I said also in my article that these two virtues are like the two pillars or foundational uh, stones on which we, we, we build our edifice of holiness. You talk about, you know, St. Teresa of Avila talking about truth. 
And we live in a world where everybody's coming up with their own truth, right? It's a very relativistic society. And truth nowadays is whatever anybody thinks it is, or so that's how they would define it. And so when we deny the truth, come up with our own truth, we're actually denying Christ, aren't we? Right. And uh, Pope uh, Benedict XVI Emeritus just passed away a few days ago, and um, we had his funeral just a few days also. Of all of his, um, of all of his uh, teachings on Christ and the morality in the church, one of his most important hallmarks was he said that we live in a world of, um, he said, it, where there's a dictatorship of, of moral relativism. And when he says the dictatorship of moral relativism, basically what he's saying is that many people today in the world, even among Catholics, they no longer accept an objective truth, but rather they want to decide what the truth is by their own uh, intellectual perspective. But we know that there is an absolute truth, which is manifested through the Bible, the Word of God, but also with the Bible, the Word of God, we have with it tradition and, of course, the, the magisterium of the Church. I think this moral relativism uh, became more and more manifest right around 1968 when uh, Pope St. Paul VI he issued a very explosive document within the church called an encyclical, Humana Vitae. In this, he stated very clearly that um, the marital act had to be open to the possibility of life. And he said that the use of uh, contraceptive devices is something that's intrinsically evil. And sad to say, once that this uh, document was, uh, was uh, promulgated, a lot of people didn't want to accept it. They wanted to basically follow their own thing, do their own thing rather than to submit themselves to this authority, which came about through the magisterium of the church, of course, headed by the Holy Father, Pope Paul VI. So this, um, this idea of not wanting to submit yourself to lawful uh magisterial authority is a manifestation of pride. So um, I thought I would throw that out because uh, Pope Ben the 16th, one of his most famous sayings is that we live in a world where there's a dictatorship of moral relativism rather than people submitting themselves to the truth, which is Christ manifested through his mystical body. And your mystical body is the church. Well, we know all know the saying, right? The truth sets us free. It's when we start lying and denying the truth and watering down the truth that really we put ourselves in the clutches of the evil one because we're not practicing that virtue of humility. And, and let's be honest, right? Humble pie does not taste very good. But the more you eat it, the more you know you need it and you can acquire the taste. But the first few times you get humbled, either you submit to it or you battle against it, don't you? That's right, um, because uh, if if we want to acquire humility, uh, then one of the means by which humility comes about is through humiliations. 
and I don't think any of us really like humiliations, but the royal highway to humility is through humiliations. And once again, you you look in the lives of the saints, how they underwent many humiliations to arrive at this very, very great virtue. And whether we like it or not, uh, we're going to be humbled. Uh, St. Ignatius Loyola and the spiritual exercises gives us a meditation on the three degrees of humility. And he says the first degree of humility is we should be willing to die rather than commit a mortal sin. The second degree, he says, we should be willing to die rather than commit a deliberate venial sin. And the third degree of humility of St. Ignatius, he says, we should be willing to suffer. We should be willing to suffer humiliation so we can imitate Christ all the more because he is, of course, our model. You also mentioned in the article the Holy Family, and you've mentioned, you know, Mary and and Jesus, obviously, but even St. Joseph, right? If we want to live and raise our families and practice the virtue of humility, really the Holy Family is the model for all families to, to, to replicate in order to be able to gain that virtue that's so critical, as you mentioned, is one of the pillars along with charity. Yes, that's a good point, Deacon, um, that um, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph uh, are our model. Just a uh, about three weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas, and we can sometimes think about Christmas as a saccharine, sweet, sentimental uh, feast day where we're just thinking about the exterior of um, decorations and and that's fine. But if we really want to enter into the very heart and essence of Christmas, we see we see what uh, what humiliations. Think about the humiliations they went through. That Mary has to travel on a donkey three or four days before she's going to give birth. That would have been very painful but humiliating. Don't forget that she's the queen of the angels and saints. And finally, when Mary and St. Joseph arrive at Bethlehem, they knock on the door to try to find some place where the child could be born. And among the saddest words in sacred scripture are there was no place for him in the end. Jesus, even before he's born, was rejected, was really, that's what abortion is, is rejecting human life before human life is born. So that 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 was a huge humiliation for St. Joseph not being able to provide proper lodging for his wife who was about to bring forth a child. Then finally, when they find a place, what do they find? It's a, it's a stable where animals would seek refuge from the elements. Uh, I like to sometimes quote uh, Fulton Sheen. Fulton Sheen is one of my favorites. He says that the creator of the universe had nowhere to be born in his own creation. Wow. What humiliation that the creator of the stars and the cosmos and the stars and the planets and the oceans and the fish teeming in the oceans had nowhere to be born except in a poor, humble, stinky cave. Fulton Sheen said he should be the patron of cavemen because he was born in a cave. He was born in a cave. So yeah, I think it's a good idea to look at uh, 
look at yeah, look at the the life of the Holy Family. It wasn't saccharine sweet. It wasn't uh, Pollyanna or sentimentalism, but it was hard. It was and it was rejection because once you have rejection, you you, you experience humiliation. So there, they of course there there are models in many, in so many different ways, but especially in the church of humility. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, in the article, and again, I would encourage people to go to Catholic Exchange to read the article because you talk about strategic steps to obtain, you know, the sublime virtue of humility. And maybe we can go through a few of those. I mean, we have, you know, we're only about halfway through the show, but it is, you know, they're so important. And and each one of them we can look at and kind of meditate on and, and see where am I in regard to being able to accept some of these things like docility and obedience, and you mentioned accepting humiliations and so on. Sure. I, I was able to put on 10 basic ideas. The first thing I said was to appreciate its value. And I said, never will we strive to attain any good in our lives if we do not deem its value and worth. And I said, misers pursue gold, the vein of heart honors and the hidden essential pleasure why? Because they deem these goods of value, even though they are idols and false values. And they said, we must view and esteem humility of greatest importance in the edifice of holiness and the foundational bedrock for holiness. If not, our life pursuit of holiness will be built on mere sand and will collapse quickly. So what I have here is the first point is it has to be appreciated. It also could be explained by means of what is called a principle of motivation. We're never going to do anything great in our lives of perennial value if we don't recognize the real value and importance of this. So if we really want to get to heaven, we have to be imbued with the theological virtue of charity, but also we have to strive after humility. You know, those who are in heaven are only those who are meek and humble of heart. Those who are in hell are those who are puffed up by pride and self-reliance, thereby rejecting God as their principle and foundation. So uh, Deacon Jeffrey, that was the first thing I thought was worthy of writing, is that we have to really appreciate his value and be motivated to try to obtain it. Well, and I think you have a great point, right? If all the saints in heaven had the virtue of humility, and we think we're going to be the first saint to get in there without humility. We got uh, we're we're really kidding ourselves. So it it just emphasizes how important that is. But you know, you you mentioned accepting humiliations. Also, part of your strategic steps is being able to accept fraternal correction. Right, being open to our shortcomings and and embracing you know being obedient to superiors. That's right. Um... What I said in the article is um, uh, the importance of uh, having a, a spiritual director uh, in our in our life, because we all have blind spots, and if we do have spiritual direction, then it's a it's a huge blessing. I believe all of us who are really pursuing a life of holiness should ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to place in our path. Uh, a spiritual director that can guide us uh, properly. Teresa of Avila, as well as uh, 
Friends of Sales and Saint Ignatius Loyola insist on the great importance of of uh, spiritual direction. Uh, one of my favorite books that I've uh, I've read more than once over the past few years is uh, is Saint Faustina Kowalska. It's a uh, Divine Mercy, the Diary of Divine Mercy in My Soul. And one of the things that I admired most about her is that she has. Uh, Father Andras as her confessor, but she has Father Sopochko as her spiritual director. And uh, she's very, very docile. She's very docile, submissive, and uh, obedient to her confessor as well as her spiritual director. She doesn't want to do anything if she's not being submissive to her spiritual director. And because God speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us through magisterium. He speaks to us through the, um, the commandments in the church. But also God uses the human channels of spiritual directors to guide us in the, in the fullness of the truth. So, yes, if we want to be obedient, we have to submit ourselves to adequate proper spiritual direction and try to be obedient to our directors when they indicate the path that we should be following. I had to laugh when I was looking at the strategic steps at number nine. It's, you know, that that's the step where you say the awareness of our past sins and God's mercy. But you mentioned in there, you know, getting on our high horse of pride. And I, I can't remember how many times my dad said, either get off your high horse or I'm going to knock you off of it. Uh, growing up. And I had a chuckle when I read that, but it is important to look back on our past, not to dwell on it and beat ourselves up, but to remind ourselves that we are weak, we are sinful, and God does have great mercy and will help lift us up. Isn't that important? Yes. That was a point I highlighted that um, if we have a temptation to be like uh, the parable, you got the parable uh, in Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee and the publican, the um, the fa- the Pharisee stood up and he, he he basically praised himself. He wasn't so much praying, but he was praising praising himself because he prayed, he fasted during the week, and then he said, "I I thank you that I'm not like adulterers, I'm not like thieves, I'm not like this this uh, publican here." in the temple behind me. And Jesus goes on to point out that it was the, it was a publican that went home justified. And why? Principally because of his great humility. Whereas the Pharisee was rejected because he was seeing himself as God, didn't attribute any of his goodness to God, but to himself. So if we're tempted at times to demean, disparage, or to look down upon other people because we feel that we're more important than them, it's not a bad idea to call to mind some of our own past failures, our own past sins, and recognize how God forgave us. Not only did he forgive us, but he actually, he extricated us from that muck or mud. And I see sin kind of like um it might be considered as uh, as as quicksand. It's moral quicksand, moral quicksand, which is muddy. We can sink in it all the way to our eyebrows and be lost. 
God doesn't throw the rope and pull us out of it. So, um, you know, St. Philip Neri, a great saint, he uh, was walking the streets of Rome and he saw a vagabond, a homeless man thrown there in the gutter. You know what he said? There go I, save the grace of God. And uh, St. Therese of Lisieux said that all of the sins of humanity, the most heinous, ugly sins of humanity, she said she could commit them if it were not for the grace of God. So these saints, Philip Mary as well as St. Therese, teach us teach us uh, the, the lesson not to praise ourselves because of our virtue, but rather to attribute the our success to God. I think it's a good idea, Deacon, that when, if people ever compliment us on maybe our preaching or teaching or some of our good works, we should always say, thanks be to God. I really believe we should do that too. So not to absorb the truth of the, of the compliment within our own hearts, but rather to reflect the honor and glory to God. That's That's true humility. Well, and I think that's important because it's a reminder that we have a great dependency on God because any gift or any success that we have is because of a gift God has given us. So to think we have done something on our own when we wouldn't even, we would not even exist if it wasn't for the love of God is really, you know, this foolishness that the evil one can make us think that you know, we are the God and we've accomplished something, when in reality, without God, we accomplish nothing. Right. One of my favorite stories is, according to tradition, Leonardo da Vinci painted the Last Supper and he chose these men to pose in that painting. He got a young, attractive man, and that was Jesus Christ. And then he got the other 11 apostles, but he couldn't seem to find who would depict Judas. One day, I guess this was a couple of years afterward, he was walking and he saw this this drunk, this bomb sitting in the streets. And Da Vinci drew close to him and he thought, This might this might be a good depiction for Judas. And he says to the man, Could you do me a favor? The man says, What? Uh, I'm painting the Last Supper and I have Jesus and the the eleven apostles, but I haven't found Judas Iscariot. I think that you would be you'd fit the scene perfectly. That moment Tears welled up in the eyes of that man who, who would eventually be Judas. And Da Vinci said, "Why are you, why are you crying?" And the man said, "I'm crying is because a couple of years ago, you asked me to pose for your painting, and I was Jesus Christ." Mm. Wow! So what happened was, he turned from Jesus to Judas, and that can happen to all of us. If we're not humble, we don't walk humbly before the Lord, we can fall off our high horse, as your father would point out. We can fall into the mud. So I think we, we should always walk humbly before the face of God, recognizing that we can fall very easily into the mud of our own sins. Well, and there's a lot of mud to fall into. And if we're not careful, you know, you can all, all of us will fall into it sooner or later, but it's wallowing in it and not getting up is what really leads us, right? We all know that saints are sinners that sinned that kept getting up every time they fell. And so it's that perseverance and that continuing to work. You know, we're not going to wake up tomorrow and just be, you know, have um, mastered the virtue of humility. It's something we have to continue to work on, isn't it? Yes. 
Yeah, my founder, the founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, he gives us this, these two words in Latin, nunc cepi. And what it means is now I begin, even though we fall, even we fall a thousand times a day, he says we should get up and entrust ourselves more and more to the mercy of God. So it's a virtue that uh, we have to work on. And the ironic thing is this, that when we think that we have arrived at a great degree of humility, what happens is God throws us some humiliation. We recognize that we're, we're not as humble as we really think that we were. <laughs> I, think <it's, laughs> I think it's something we have to just work on a daily basis until the Lord calls it from time to eternity. We can always grow in humility. I mean, obviously, the Virgin Mary was was the model of humility, and we got to keep battling just just not to lose ground and to gain a little bit and a little bit over time. Because, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, uh, the virtue of humility was something that all the saints had. You know, if we want to receive the graces that the Lord wants to give us in the sacraments, if we come up full of pride, we're not going to be able to receive those graces. We have to have that humility to receive those gifts he wants to give us, don't we? Yes. It's a good point because you mentioned the sacraments. Actually, if we get in the habit of going to confession frequently, and I, as a priest, I try to spend a lot of time in the confessional because I know how, how, how much good that does for me as a priest, but also the penitents that come. You know, Deacon Jeffrey, it's, a, uh, it, it's hard to go to confession. And one of the reasons why it's hard to go to confession is because of pride. A lot of people don't want to go to confession because they don't want to humbly admit that they have fallen. But the fact of the matter is, as, uh, as the psalmist points out, even the just man falls seven times a day. But if you, if you do pursue frequent confession, I think we should all try to go to confession at least once a month. I think that's a safeguard against allowing these weeds of pride to grow up and to suffocate humility, the other virtues, because going to confession, you're practicing an act of humility by humbly admitting that we do fail, we do fall, we do slip into sin. So I encourage all of us, our listeners, uh, not to be afraid to approach the sacrament of confession. And we as priests also, as the book of Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 5 points out, we also are sinners. And we can understand sinners because we are self-reflected by weakness ourselves. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.